For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, everybody, welcome back into this special weekend edition of the Believe in Patriots podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. Pats, unfortunately, coming off a 24-3 loss to the Rams on Thursday night. With that loss, they're now 6-7. and seven. Their playoff odds are 6% or 4%, depending on who you read. But they will have a game next Sunday against the Dolphins. They are not mathematically eliminated. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at WDEV Radio Brady. Our producer is Aaron Wells. Doug Flutie, former Patriots quarterback, Heisman Trophy winner, CFL Hall of Famer. He's on Twitter and Instagram. You can find him at Doug Flutie. will be joined in this podcast by Jake Ellenbogen, Rams expert from downtown Rams. He will give us a scoop on the Rams side of this win, which I don't know that I want to hear all of what he has to say about it, but he will join us. And as always, the podcast is brought to you by our friends at Bet Online. It's betonline.ag. Coming up on another football Sunday. To, and hey, no Patriots game to stress you out. So responsibly put some, uh, get some action on the games here and have some fun with it. But again, do it responsibly. In game betting, pre game betting, coaches' bets, prop bets, they've got everything there. Betonline.ag, the only place you should be wagering during this football season. College basketball is going on, we got the NBA starting. We got bowl season coming. It's all here. BetOnline.ag. Aaron to the podcast. What you are about to hear is a presentation of the Believe in Patriots podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. All the news, opinions, and insights on your six-time Super Bowl champion, New England Patriots. Now it's your host, me, Brady Farkas, and Heisman Trophy winner, CFL Hall of Famer, and former Patriots quarterback, Doug Flutie. All right, everybody, welcome back into the Believe in Patriots podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. Joining us, as always, is our co-host. It is Doug Flutie, former Patriots quarterback. Doug, how are you? Doing all right. Hanging out on a rainy day in Florida. We're doing better than the Patriots are after Thursday night, 24-3 to with that loss. Hey, before we start, I want to ask you this. We're taping this at 2 p.m. on Saturday. We're an hour away from kickoff of Army-Navy. If there's one sporting event I've wanted to go to, I've never been to, it's Army-Navy. Have you ever been there? I've never been to it, but we watch it every year as a group. It's usually Heisman weekend, mm. and we're going to the event tonight, the TV event, the announcement and all that, and we all hang out in the, kind of a hospitality room and watch the Army-Navy game together. It's really kind of a tradition. And then uh, Pete Dawkins, General Pete Dawkins, always goes to the game and gets there a little bit late. Mm. Well, I've always wanted to go. I've, you know, I've been to a World Series game. I've been to the NCAA tournament. I've been to Super Bowl week. I've seen a lot of cool sporting events. Army Navy's right there at the top of the bucket list, though, for what's left. Well, they all get to you know go out and be normal people for a day. You know, they're so regimented through their routine during their weeks and their disciplinary. You know, they they have full schedules. So when they get to go to games, they let loose. You know, the the cadets and the midshipmen. So they just go have a blast at the game. So the atmosphere is always amazing and obviously the tradition of the game and, and all it brings with it 
When you talk about Heisman Week and watching the game together, you're in a room of the elitist of the elite of college football, guys who played at major programs. How do they view Army and Navy players? Oh, they love them. I mean, we all do. You have a great respect, number one, for – I've seen firsthand because I've covered games for both Army and Navy yep. and go and see what their daily routine is. They start at 5 a.m. and they are busy all day. There's no downtime. They have 20 minutes to eat. And they're in and out and they're going on to the next activity. So you know the type of schedule and discipline that they have, what their commitment is going to be after the fact. So when they get a chance to go play football, they just let, and and they're all undersized guys that are playing division one football, usually again, you know, I always did it when they were playing Notre Dame. So you admire just the the approach to the game and the way they have to be all in, all out on every play just to even have a chance to compete because they are usually outmatched physically. The Patriots remind me a little bit of a service academy offense, by the way. <laughs> now that you bring that. We saw Cam run the option down there on fourth and goal. But even aside from that, you look at Cam's numbers after games, it looks like a service academy quarterback. You know, nine for 14, 86 yards, no touchdowns. I feel like I'm watching an Air Force quarterback. Well, now that you bring that up, that's kind of – and when we talk about their margin of error, it's the same way. When the academies would play a big team, they had to control the football. They had to score on every drive. And they couldn't get behind because once you're behind, it's over. You can't throw the ball to catch up. And that's kind of what we saw last week. So the Pats lose 24-3. They're now 6-7. and seven. They're not officially eliminated from the playoff race, but they're, you know, for all intents and purposes, they're really way on the outside looking in. Take me through the end of a season. When you're playing and a season is it's either lost or it's getting away from you. What's the the emotion like? What's the feeling like in a locker room going through the end of a season? First of all, when you start losing, it gets like the weight of the world on your shoulders and it gets tougher and tougher to to, to stay focused and, and feel free to go out and just play. So all of a sudden that weight gets heavy on you. Now you get to the end of the season and you're out of the playoff hunt. Let's say you're out. Um, I was never in a position where I was the guy, unless you want to talk Canada, but I was never out of a playoff picture up there. Yeah. So, you know, I was still playing for a job. And that was the mentality. That's what it turns to. For most of the players, it turns to you're on film every day in practice. You're on film every Sunday. And you are playing for your job so they don't try to replace you next year. Because obviously, the media is starting to write, what are the needs of this football team? We need this in the D-line. We need this at the quarterback position. We need this at wide receiver. We need, And so you're one of those guys they're talking about. You're one of those guys that every day in the newspaper, they're trying to replace you. And you're – busting your tail even more for your I don't know that you can see for me I don't care if it was a preseason game postseason game regulars I played the same way I I was never secure in my position I was playing if I go out and play a pickup basketball game I'm playing the way I play on Sunday and I can't you know people say all oh, they mail it in you know people say that this guy's not playing hard or that's I've never seen that I've always seen everybody playing and giving everything they have do you notice guys, though, ever making business decisions? And what I mean by that is maybe there are guys that don't play as hard. They don't want to get, they don't want to go after this hit because they don't want to risk injury, or they're not going to play through something they would have played through earlier in the season. They're going to sit themselves out. Do you see guys ever making business decisions to take care I, of themselves? I don't think so. I've seen guys with marginal injuries 
that usually they might have played with and they sit out that towards the end of the year. And a lot of times that's management talking to them and saying, we're going to sit you down. We got it because this is also what happens. Young guy, they got to get a look at some young guys. They got to get a look at a guy that hasn't played much and have to make a decision on him, like backup quarterbacks, for instance, or uh, I don't know, young guys that maybe are on practice roster that all of a sudden, you know what? My veteran guy receiver, I know what you can do. I know you're going to be back next year. Let's sit him down and let this guy get some real playing time and see what he has. And those are the decisions. I don't really see it as the veteran guy or the big money guy making that decision. I see it's more management making that decision for him. Did you ever go into an end of a season where you were going to be a free agent in the upcoming offseason and you're thinking, and we always hear about guys playing in their contract year or guys who are, you know, they're, oh, they're about to be a free agent, so maybe they're playing extra hard through the end of a season. Did you ever have that situation? Not really. Really, I, I've had situations where I was in a contract year and then the team makes that decision that they wanted to stay with. In my situation in Buffalo, they were staying with Rob and I went and became a free agent, wind up signing a deal with San Diego for more money and uh, be a starting quarterback, which worked out. But I didn't want to leave Buffalo at that time. I didn't want to take off. I was like, you know, all I knew was everything. I was all in right here. And that's always the way I've been. I, I was... I think my situation was a little unique or different than, you know, I wasn't your typical starting quarterback guy that the team was afraid to have you play out that year. That was never the situation with me. You know, you mentioned, I got a, a twofold question. You mentioned your time in San Diego where Mike Riley was the head coach there and, and uh, he ended up making it through the end of the season. But when you're playing for a team where the coach might be out in the off season, What's the end of the season like? Is it hard to buy into what he's saying? Because it's like, well, hey, I'm not going to do it his way. He's not going to be here. What's it like when you don't know what the coach's future is? You know, that that is different from playing for Bill Belichick at the end of a season when it doesn't matter, uh, where you know this is their organization. These are the guys that are going to be here. They're making those decisions. Now everything's up in the air. Now all of a sudden, if the head coach isn't going to be there, there's no one that is vested in you as a player. Yeah. Usually a, a coach brings you in, a coach puts you, you know, it's even more evident at the college level when coaches leave and they, they get their first recruiting class, but it's the same principle of he's probably going to go after guys at this position that he's played with or worked with before that he trusts. And so now it's, it's all, it all comes down to self-motivation though. You have to yeah. have it coming from within in every one of these scenarios the bottom line is got the motivation's got to come from you, the player, to go out and perform because because you have they have film on you. It may be that you're playing somewhere else next year, but they're still going to look at this film and make a decision during the offseason when signing free agents. Even if the, this organization isn't going to be the same. Now, if it's if a new guy comes here and I'm still in the contract here, you're playing to stay there. So no matter what, the motivation is still for the individual player to put his best foot forward at any given moment. You know, we talked a lot about your first tenure with the Patriots and how back in the day you guys didn't throw it a lot early in your career. You know, and it keeps coming up over broadcast. So listen to this one. So the Patriots lost the other day, right? But if they had won and if Camp had thrown for less than 100 yards, that would have been three wins in a row with less than 100 yards passing. Last team in NFL history to do that, the 1988 <laughs> Patriots, with, of which you were playing. Unbelievable. It's, it's <laughs> unbelievable. And that's why I say you, there's – there's so many ways to win. Now, it, is that my preference? No. 
But we had a guy, John Stevens, that was a rookie of the year that year at running back, and we were running the ball really well. And a big part of running the ball well is that the mobile quarterback makes people stay home, makes them worry about the naked bootleg. Things happen. You know, you can go play action off it, make a big play here or there. But we ran the ball well because I, you know, maybe it's third and eight and I scrambled for a first down. Maybe it, and that's what Cam has been doing. And that's the way this, I hated it because when you do throw the ball, you're throwing on third and eight. Yeah. You know, you got this one shot, you throw an incomplete pass, you're off the field. If you know you're, if you're Tom Brady or Peyton Manning and you knew you were throwing the ball three straight times, you got to go one for three sometimes. You know, you, you're, you're getting into a rhythm too and seeing coverage and knowing what they're doing. So that it's a, as a quarterback, it's not a lot of fun to play that way, but it can be effective. Again, the margin, the margin of error becomes very slim though. Well, I thought it was amazing that we keep getting back to your early tenure <laughs> that's, with the that's Patriots. Ridiculous. Absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. So that keeps coming up. Hey, before we get into the game itself, I want to play actually what Tom Brady said that kind of caused uh, a bit of a stir in New England. He played so Aaron, I'm gonna have you play this. I'll set it up for you here, Doug. He was talking about Tampa Bay, talking about the weather in Tampa, like hey, what it's like to play in a good weather, good weather climate all the way throughout a season. You had that in Tampa or in uh, San Diego, rather. But here is what Tom Brady said, and it's like 30 seconds long. So, Aaron, let's play it. Let's hear the whole thing. It's, it's amazing, you know, just to be at this point in the season and then to still be outside practicing today turned into a beautiful day. You know, I always kind of came down to Florida in the uh, late in the year. We always played uh, the Dolphins. They were in our conference, and it was pretty tough to adjust to. And uh, just being in it, you know, really prepares you kind of for the – the heat because it does it definitely takes a toll uh if you're not used to it but i've loved just uh being outside every day and, and you won't catch me dead living in, in northeast <laughs> so has tom forgotten that that northeast that he won't be caught dead living in again has he forgotten that that region supported him and loved him for 20 years and is now That's, rooting for him what was the need for the jab He's not talking about the people. He's talking about the fact I finally get to play in warm weather and get to throw the ball every week without dealing with 30-mile-an-hour winds and freezing cold hands and can't grip the ball. And the here's my argument was I, I, I was at the end of my career. I'm 43 years old, and I'm playing in New England. And I, I love the New England fans. My whole life is New England this, New England that. I'm laying on the ground stretching in 15 degree weather i'm 43 years old it's starting to snow the ground's frozen we're rolling i'm like what am i doing i'm 40 it, it gets so hard to to get yourself loose to get ready to play when i i live in florida now and when i go outside i play summer league baseball or whatever it is i get loose and that's kind of what tom's talking about tom's talking about especially as an older player to play in nice weather He's not talking about New England. He's talking about throwing the football in the cold and and dealing with the elements all the time. It's just you can, maybe you become soft when you get older. I don't know, no, but that you know, for I'm, me, I got when I went to San Diego at the end of my career, it was like kind of the reward at the end of the year to get or end the career to play in nice weather. Now that I'm just sports radio guy that you guys hate because I thought that that was that was an unnecessary shot. 
at New England. He can talk about Tampa, the weather, and how it's good for him and all that. He doesn't need to say, you can't, you won't catch me dead living in New England again. When he gets his Patriots Hall of Fame jacket, I promise you he's not going to say, you won't catch me dead here again. So it seems a little bit unnecessary. I I honestly think, and, and I'm not speaking for Tom, but I really thought, you know, when I hear that, I hear um, – you know what? I'm older now, and I like the warm weather. <laughs> that's well, basically that's what I'm hearing, and that's but, you know, I I everything about like I'm Boston College true and true. I'm New England sports true and true. I'm living in Florida right now because I'm wimpy. I'm old. I get cold easily. I, I'm tired of scraping windshields, and I can get up and go like it's in mid December. I surfed this morning, and I could play <laughs> golf this afternoon. Yeah, you know, maybe I'm old. I don't know. No, but, there's no doubt I am old. But Doug, isn't there are some things that you would know not to do? So let me ask you this. Yeah, I would avoid that comment. No doubt about it. I would I definitely mean, avoid saying something to that effect. I mean, Jalen Hurts is going to start for for the Eagles tomorrow. He got in trouble this week with Philadelphia Sports Radio because he was wearing a Houston Astros hat at his. <laughs> <laughs> at his press conference. If you were the Patriots quarterback and you show up in a Yankees hat, I think you're smart oh. enough to know not to do that. Yeah, I would. I would I would realize he may not even realize it, you know, being a young kid. Um but that is the the coolest thing, especially playing in New England. The coolest thing that uh, is seeing all the guys at the other playoff games. You yeah. know, whether it's the basketball players going to a Patriots game or the Patriots showing up at the Celtics or Bruins games or Red Sox and all the trophies coming out on at Fenway, all that that interaction and that bond be- between the individual sports within a city. There's nothing like it, like in New England. No doubt. Well, that that you're right about that. That has amazed me. The bond because I would think that a lot of times teams and cities, they're rivals. They're competing for attention. They're competing for dollars. They're competing for fans. That doesn't seem to be the case in New England. There does seem to be a general um, appreciation. Yeah, there should, you know, in the, in the front offices, they're, they're, they're mar- marketing-wise thinking that way. They're in competition for the, mm-hmm. for the ticket, for the uh, endorsements, for the sponsorships, for everything else. They really are. But publicly, they like the idea of it looking nice and rosy and everybody loves each other. But the amazing thing to me is that the players, because you watch each other so often in that town and hear the conversation or you start caring about the local teams, even though you, someone grew up in California, someone grew up in Indiana, someone grew up in Dallas, whatever it might be, you start caring and you really, you know, Tom's a San Francisco guy, you know, that, that Bay area he grew up in. So he should be rooting for the 49ers when he retires. You know, but, the, other, the other thing I thought was weird about what Brady said though, is he's like, it's going to be warm tomorrow when we play. He's like, so it's good that we're down here and we're in it. And it's an advantage for us. Hey, Tom, last I checked, you're going to be on the road in the playoffs and you might have to go to a place like Seattle or green Bay. Like, don't don't mm-hmm. forget that you also are going to need to know like what it's like to play in the cold, and so is your team. And now you're not getting that exposure. <laughs> well, he'll trust me. He's played enough that he'll remember what he has to do. You know what? And, and the one thing that gives Tom the biggest issue is not cold weather. It, it's the rain. He really. Uh, I remember him fighting with. I had some gloves that I like throwing in the rain with, and he tried those for a while. He he tried this. He tried that. Um, that's the one thing that kind of you know, bothers him a little more than the cold and the wind. Well, you always, as long as you have a strong arm when you're younger, um, 
the wind doesn't even bother you. But as you get older, maybe the arm's not quite as strong. The wind bothers you a little more. My my biggest concern was always grip on the football. Yeah. All right, Aaron, we've avoided the Rams beat down of the Patriots long enough. So we'll get into that. The Patriots lose 24 to 3. With that, they're now six and seven. And, and Doug, I guess, look, I predicted the Patriots to lose. They're on the road. It's a short week. I think the Rams are a better football team. I predicted the Patriots to lose. What bothers me is how it happened. The, the fact that the Patriots were really never in it, they got out tossed. And that's something we haven't seen happen to them. For weeks, the Rams ran for 185 yards. They stopped the Patriots' run. They mauled the offensive line. It's not that they lost; it's the way they lost to me. Yeah, I, you know, I, I say the same. I came away from the game thinking that way. Um, watching the Rams gash them running the football. You know, that was a different. You know, two tight ends running the mm-hmm. football gashes, um, and the the Patriots got into a five man front a lot. They got into the old bear defense, or the, you know, where you cover both guards in the nose, and really run-stopping defense, and still got gashed. Mm. Um, and the Patriots got a lot of that against themselves uh, in run situations. Um, but when you think back, two red zone trips, fourth down stop, yeah, interception return for a touchdown. Now the interception return, that's a fourteen point or at least a ten point swing. Yeah. And getting stopped on the goal line, there's another three to seven point swing. Overall, it should have been a game. It should have been, even the way they played, without be. And that's what I say. You know, I always talk about you have to throw the ball to score points. Yeah, they move the ball well at times. They, you know, doing what they had to do with the run game and then Cam running and going for it on fourth down once in a while and all that. But to score the points, to stick it in the end zone, you've got to have an efficient pass game. My biggest disappointment was the – and we'll talk about the interception, but um, third and fourth down. You're on the yeah. goal line. Okay, you got stuff. Now it's third and four-ish. I'm throwing the football. I'm throwing it twice into the end zone. The Patriots' mentality right now is we can run it twice and get in, and they're going to go for it on fourth down. When they decide to run it on third, they're running on fourth too. Yeah. But, you're, you line up and it's blitz man, it's man coverage, one on one, all over the field. Just throw a little rub route, little quick flat route, a fade route, put it up, let them have a shot. Uh, the little pick plays where the guy runs in the flat or two quick crossers, shallow, something you can get rid of the ball, and not have to worry about the passer. And both third and fourth down was that coverage. And an NFL quarterback, an NFL offense with, with top notch receipt, that's stealing. That, that should be stealing. I walked out of the game thinking the Rams played well. I didn't walk out thinking the Patriots were, were awful. Like I, I, I walked away bigger takeaways from the Rams than I did the Patriots. And I think the fact that Sean McVay, I think, is a really good head coach. And his star had kind of fallen for a bit, but now I think it's back. How would you have played? He's like 34 years old. How would you have felt playing for a coach who didn't play in the NFL and who was so much younger than you? I, you, you doubted it first. You walk in the, the buy-in for your players to a head coach is the most important thing. You know, we talk about Bill Belichick, his track record guys go in, you're going to buy into what Bill tells you because they've had success. Yeah. Now you like, say you're a 40 year old quarterback or a guy like Tom, and you go into that situation with a 34 year old head coach, you've seen more than he's seen. You, you yeah. believe. 
But I had a situation when I went to San Diego where Brian Schottenheimer was my offensive coordinator, actually my quarterback coach. And he's 29 years old and I'm 42. You know, it's us. And at first, but you realize they do their homework. Coaches are another level. And, and, and you, from a player to a coach, the, the amount of time that coaches put in game film, fronts, blitzes versus every look, and they've been doing this their whole life. And they, especially defensive line, linebacker play, a 29-year-old coach knows more than I know when it comes mm. to that stuff. So there is a definite buy-in, a lot of creativity that comes with him. And you, it wouldn't take long to you realize this guy knows a lot more than I do. How does, how does the young coach get you to buy in? Like when he comes in on day one and you're skeptical, what, what does he do to win you over? How does he get you believing? I, I think the number one thing is your, um, your day-to-day schedule and discipline yeah. that he has within that day-to-day schedule and how things are run, how tight a ship. That's the first reaction is – you know, keeping the keep the troops informed, knowing what's going on, knowing when the mini camps are going to be, knowing this, and him being organized. Then the X and O aspect of it becomes the most important thing to me with coaches. I I was a disciplined type guy myself, and as far as my work ethic and how that all was going to go down, and I just wanted to talk X and Os with my coordinator, with my head coach. A lot of times, the head coach isn't isn't the guy running the show on offense or defense. In his case, it's different. Um, but that's, that's where, you know, when you're watching film together and you see something as a quarterback and he says it before you do, um, that's when you're, when as a quarterback at that level, you're, you're buying in. The Rams pulled out some Patriots like stuff in that game. And what I mean by that is, is that when I think of the Rams and I think of McVay, I think four or five wide receivers, spread offense, no huddle, quick, 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 deep pass. They do it. They didn't, like you said, two tight ends, power football. So they kind of became a chameleon and changed up what they do. The Patriots have been doing that forever, changing week to week based on the opponent. How hard is that as a player to change up? Because I think like, okay, like the Golden State Warriors, this is what we do. We play fast, we shoot three-pointers, and it's like that's what we do. We don't want to get away from that too much. But these teams are able to change who they are week to week. I would think that would be hard when you have kind of a, a set base of how you play. The the number one thing is that they've they've practiced this stuff before with the two tight ends since day one of camp. You know, they have this package and they do this stuff out of it and all that. Even though in a game they may be spreading it out the majority of the time and then once in a while do that. Now all of a sudden you go to a week where they thought they had an advantage if they run the football against this defense for whatever reason, whatever matchups they liked. So they just focus on it more. Maybe they added some stuff to it, but it's more of just a uh, philosophy shift. This stuff's all been in since training camp or since mini camps. So there's not a lot of new learning that goes on. Mm. But from a quarterback standpoint, it's a little different because I'm not throwing, like I just said, I'm not throwing the ball in every down. So getting, staying in a rhythm gets tough. Wide receivers don't touch the ball as much. They're getting frustrated. In fact, you got two tight ends in the game. Your third wide receiver is not even on the field. So he's on the sideline complaining about you know not getting <laughs> enough snaps and not enough and all of a sudden you're walking the ball down the field doing this other stuff those are the things that become an issue um with with players but as far as the learning aspect and what they're doing um it just is a shift of a focus more than I, learning i was surprised at how slow the patriots started this is a team that knows 
they can't get behind early and knows that they can't play behind the chains. And here we are, two plays in, 60 yards for the Rams. They score a touchdown in six plays, and then boom, three and out, and they're right back at it again, and it's 10 nothing. And it's 10 nothing before you even blink. I'm shocked at how slow they started. You know, it's um, it's hard to put your finger on that stuff. Uh, usually early in the game, too, with a scripted group of plays, Cam has done well moving the football early on, like with quarterback runs and, and things. And uh, I said that uh, Josh McDaniels did a lot of great play calling early in games because he's like manufacturing ways to do things, and that didn't happen in this one. And that's just um, – you know, maybe good defense, maybe a mistake on offense. You know, all it takes is one, especially when you're playing football the way the Patriots are offensively, one mistake and you're off the field. And that's what happens all of a sudden. And, and they know they can't get behind, uh, as you said. So the frustrating part for me, more than the, the slow start, is the fact that once they're behind, it feels like a helpless situation. Yeah. Aaron, give me the overall takeaway sounder, please. Overall takeaways. Number one. All right, Doug, I think for me, it's fun for people to hammer on Cam, but this one wasn't all on him. I get he's front-facing for this thing, but, I mean, just it's everything. The offensive line was bad. They couldn't run the ball well. They didn't try to run the ball as much earlier as they have been. The defense got gashed in the run game. Like, I get Cam is going to be the focal point of the discussion. This one wasn't all on him. No, I even the interception, the pick six, I think I make the same throw. The back's coming out on a screen. He starts to move out. And as he's throwing, uh, Aaron Donald grabbed the back for a split second. So Harris didn't get his head around quick enough. The ball's by him. And then a defender coming from the next level running downhill makes the pick and he's off and gone. And it's a 14 or 10 point swing. I was going to um, ask you about that because – that was the one thing I thought was Cam's fault. I get Donald holding Harris is not is not on Cam, but that the so Young who who picks it off from the second mm-hmm. level. Don't you have to see that guy? Because even if Harris catches it, he's getting dropped for for nothing. Like, don't you have to see Some, that? Sometimes you can see him. Sometimes you can't. You're relying on in a screen pass. You're relying on offensive linemen to make blocks, and they turn and they if they see that guy coming, they get a piece of him. If they, okay. if they don't see him coming, he's making the pick. As he's throwing it, as Cam's throwing it, I think you had time to see Harris get grabbed. I'm not sure. It's like real split second, dicey. Mm-hmm. So the only other alternative is you're seeing that happen and you're throwing it at his feet and it's incomplete. And I honestly think, unless and I don't know the angle from Cam's point of view, but my first thought was, shoot, I probably, because he started to get grabbed, I might have put it to the outside also and put it out there with a little more touch so that he has time to get off the pull, find the ball, and go catch it. Because it looked initially like there was an open, dead area out there. But my interception would have been a lot worse or would have looked 10 times worse. Because hmm. I would have just lobbed it, and it would have been the easiest thing in the world. Um I don't know. From his angle, yeah, sometimes you see that guy flying and sometimes you don't. You know, we've seen this with Cam twice now this year. He had the interception on screen pass against Denver where he did the same thing and he threw it right into the defensive lineman's arms. But I saw something interesting I want to ask you about. Someone who studies film at a far greater greater level than me said when Cam throws the ball deep to intermediate, he actually looks fairly decent. But the short game just isn't there. Have you ever – I mean, have you ever had a feeling where, hey – 
I can't throw it with enough touch to to make those short plays work. Whereas Cam might look pretty good deep play action, five step drop time to throw. Some of that stuff has looked pretty good, but short maybe they don't trust him there. He hit three balls I know in the first half on intermediate routes that looked good. Yeah. That, that that looked better than I've seen Cam look on those intermediate balls. He did put the one fade route up that was underthrown that Harry went up and made a nice play on the ball. Mm-hmm. Some of the times on the short passing game, yeah, because he throws the ball from his ear all the time, he kind of hoods the ball a little bit, cups it. Yep. Um, there's a lack of touch. And sometimes he like he later in the game, he just drilled one on a five-yard sit route, like halfway to the yes. receiver. Sometimes he, that happens to him, and I don't know what that – I have no idea what that is. Um, but I think it's an overall, it's, it's an overall feel thing because of the, his throwing motion and the way he throws it, the touch is different. Everything has to be thrown on a line and hard Hmm. and, uh, it makes the margin of error on a throw very small. And I don't, you know, he's all, he's all been short passing game though. And he's been high completion percentage on that short passing game. They also they allowed a third and twelve early in the game, which was a huge play. They jumped off sides on fourth and one, oh, like inside bad. the red zone. I mean, there's all these things. They committed penalties. They missed tackles in space. Like this one, it, it felt like a full team loss to me. This one didn't feel like Cam. Uh, well, yeah, no, I agree. I, I'm not throwing this on Cam at all. I I just think. They are limited offensively with what they do, but we yes. they, put, they they blew them out last week. They blew out the Chargers last week, and nobody was saying this, right? We knew we knew the problem all season, but it was getting better. And when they win, there's no talk of this. Now all of a sudden you lose, and it, it becomes glaring. Um, but it was definitely a team effort. It was it was definitely uh, there was pass right. Well, once they got behind, it had to throw. And it wasn't the full play action and run the ball stuff. Um, the pass rush just got to Cam, and and they were, I don't know how many sacks they ended up with, but they did the same when Cam came out of the game. When when you're just dropping back, uh, they were in in the lap of the quarterback. So it, it was all it was all around, no doubt about it. I would be a bad general manager because I think with my heart and I think emotionally than I more so than I think with my head. I like Cam so much because of how accountable he is and how respected he is by his teammates. Like, I want him to do so. Like, I feel bad watching him struggle or at least watching him go through these struggles. I want him to do so well that I think it hurts me more than it should. Oh, I see. But I feel that way about all quarterbacks. I feel that way about all players because I've been there. It's like I don't want to see the guy miss a foul shot at the end of a game. Yeah good game for his team. I don't want to see a quarterback have the bad interception and cost his team ever. Um, and I feel that because I know how hard these guys work. And like you said, especially in this situation with Cam being a veteran guy and having success before and winning a team over, becoming a guy that's carrying the load, even though, even though it's not throwing the ball 40 times, he's still been carrying the load, but the way he runs the ball and the things he had to do in this offense to make things happen. Um, so no, I would not throw this on him, and I do feel, I feel badly because he's he plays so hard, and to, I I just get so frustrated with how quickly people want to put, point the finger, and and to something you point out all the time is you know he's not the high money quarterback either doing this. He's he's getting everything he has out of himself right now. Yeah, like I get why 
Eagles fans are disappointed in Carson Wentz. He's tied to them for four more years, a, a huge contract, and Matt Stafford was a number one pick, and Baker Mayfield was a number one pick. Like there's significant investment in those in that position by those franchises. The Patriots haven't invested anything in the quarterback position, so why I, I can't be that mad? Like they didn't invest anything in it. Why should I be mad at them for not getting as much out of it? I love how you think a million dollars is not an investment. But, it isn't what but, it's compared to a hundred. I know, I know. But I go back to when I was early with the Patriots making a hundred grand. Um, yeah, it's um, it's true. I mean, they they signed a guy for minimal money that they thought could get a top end out of, and they're getting everything they can out of him or everything that he has. And um, we just, I, I, I think my issue is, I've seen Cam play great. I've seen him have an MVP year. Yeah, I've seen him get to the Super Bowl, and that's what I want or expect. Mm. And it, it's just, it's just so different from what the Patriots have been used to within their offense, and they had to shift gears and do something completely different. That's where um, it's frustrating. But you know, it, it's you know, money at the position. That's a good point. And uh, yeah, the Carson Wednesday, Carson. Early in the year, I remember the first game of the year, him get, taking bad sacks and throwing bad picks yeah. from the beginning. And I, I wonder why it's taken this long. You know, it's funny. Um, on I just have a quick question about that. See, I thought that taking sacks was not necessarily the worst thing for a quarterback. So, like, what I mean is, I think I remember it was Tony Romo who said this. Like, early in my career, I tried to make things happen and I threw bad picks. Later in my career... I got smarter. I just took the sack rather than try to make the the hero play. So I kind of thought taking sacks was better than the alternative on a lot of cases. But you see, Wentz is getting crushed for it. I see Russell Wilson take sacks when there's there might be something there. It's like it's a fine line. I thought sacks were better than apparently they are in some see, cases. I I see sacks are, are drive enders. So you're you're punting. If you get sacked during a series, you're probably punting right after at one point. My point of view is you can always get rid of the football. You, did, yeah. you don't have to make the hero play. You don't have to try to stick it in there. You can throw the ball into row E and punt later, but keep yourself in down and distance. Yeah. That's True. the big, the biggest issue is not to get to second and 18, third and 18, and be in a position where you might force one down the field or they know you got to throw and it's an impossible situation to keep yourself in down and distance pull the trigger, throw it at somebody's feet, throw it out of bounds. There are definitely times that you can't do that. There's definitely times where guys on you and you protect that football, tuck it away and hang on to it. And that, that happens, but it doesn't happen 10 times a game. Aaron, give me the Bill Belichick sounder here. This is who's saying what. Um, we don't need that sounder. Just give me the Bill Belichick soundbite on Cam. Hey, great question, Mike. I'm really glad you asked that. Cam's our quarterback. There you go. Cam's the quarterback. So they're playing Miami next week. Miami's in the playoffs as we sit right now. I would start Cam next week against Miami also the same as Belichick is. Would you, Doug? I would start Cam. I'd play him again and, and go with the way they've been doing things. They you know managed to be about a 500 football team and gave us all hope that maybe a playoff team. Um, if you get down 14, 17, I'd make the shift to see what, what Stidham has and, and let him sling the ball around. Problem is it looked like they can't pass protect if they have to drop back and throw the ball every down. Um, I know that, that the Rams have a great pass rush, and they knew New England was going to throw the ball in those situations. But um, I think that's – and 
I would stay with the same mentality that they've had all year, running the football, let Cam do his thing. He takes off and runs for some first downs, keeps the, the, the short passing game and keep yourself in down a distance. But um, if you get down big, that's when you make a shift. And it's not necessarily you're replacing Cam. It's situational football. See, I think that's where you and I will differ on this. I would play Cam also, and I would still keep elements of what they've been doing. But I've got to free him up a little bit. I think you need to evaluate Cam. Everyone's like, oh, we need to evaluate Stidham. Well, Stidham's under contract for two more years. I got Cam mm -hmm. for three more games. So if I'm trying to see what I've got for next year, I need to see Cam. And he's been so tentative because he doesn't want to turn the ball over because they're in a playoff race. I he's get that. Take take the reins off though. Let him throw the ball down the field. If he then shows he can't do it, then I'm getting some answers. Well, I think we I think that's why they went to this was that early in the year they tried to throw the ball down the field and could not at times. I maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I know they came out week one doing the quarterback run thing and limiting the throws, but when the interceptions started to happen, you know, they were games that he I I got to go back and look at numbers as far as how many attempts and all that. But um, I think that the decision was made that this was the best route because of Cam. I don't know. Maybe, maybe all the pass plays that Cam runs are area reads are hard play action or bootleg action where it's a one to two. It's a couple of receiver route. It's, it's not the full field spread them out, have a front side, backside read and, depending on coverage and all that. Um, so but, I, I get the impression they're not comfortable doing that with him. But they've been protecting him because they think there's something to play for, right? They said we need to win games so we can get to the playoffs, so we're going to do what we need to do to get to the playoffs. The playoffs are largely off the table. I want to win the game, but I need Cam to throw it 25 or 30 times. If I'm going to evaluate him for next year, which is what I'm doing, I'm trying to see who's my quarterback mm -hmm. going to be next year, if Cam's going to be the guy next year, and we're going to pay him $10 million next year. I need to see if he can throw it 30 times a game and make those reads. I still want to win. I'm not going to have him throw it 56 times, but I got to do some new things here and say, Cam, we told you to play conservative. Now we got to, we got to take the reins off here, play loose, play free. And if you make mistakes or can't throw, then we'll learn that, but we got to learn it. Okay. I, well, I agree that that's what these last few weeks are about. They're about finding out who's your quarterback and, and what do you have here. It's basically that way for every position at this time of year. But um, I thought my general feel for this year was they made that decision early on that this was the way they had to play with Cam because he probably couldn't do the other. But it, sure, turn him loose. And if you get behind, if you if you can't do it, then the, 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 the change happens. You know, um, we've talked about this a bit. The one thing I do see on film with Cam is that there are some throws that are there, some anticipation throws. He had a third down play to Jacoby Myers that Myers was open and he didn't see him. What exactly is open in the NFL? Because it does look like Cam is waiting for a guy to turn around, be at a spot and have nobody there. And that's when he's comfortable throwing it. Yeah, there's open in the NFL is leverage. Uh, you, know, you see some guys make a, double or shake a guy and get wide open where he's got three strides on a guy coming on an in route or a go route, whatever it might be. But usually let's say you got slant routes and it's, it's man to man coverage with a free safety in the middle and a, a whole player, a middle linebacker or another, or the other safety rotated down. So now because there's help in the middle, 
the defensive backs are playing outside leverage. You're looking for an in-cutting route because on an in-cutting route, now he's going to have leverage. He's either the DB is going to be on his outside shoulder. And as soon as he breaks inside, he's got body language on him, but leverage the balls on the inside shoulder. That's open. Okay. If there's no safety help, they're playing inside leverage. So now you're hoping for an outbreaking route. And again, it's leverage. Okay. He could be right on a guy's hip, but because he's going to be breaking out, he's in a position body wise where you can put the ball on the outside and he can catch it. That is open in the NFL. Open in the NFL is having a guy on one hip and you're in the other position where the ball can be placed. And then when a guy breaks wide open, um, you know, that's, that's just gravy. And the only time that really happens is on those hard play actions where the guy has time to work the route a little bit and get all the way across the field or do a double move or put a real wiggle on a guy at the top of the route. And those, you know, there, there's a handful of those throws a game, but most of your throws are, and that's why anticipation becomes so important. Anticipation, you, you set that back foot, and as the guy is ready to break, you put that ball on the inside so that when he comes off the break and his head snaps inside, the ball's almost there. He sees it and catches it before the defensive back can react to the ball. Because when the break is happening, the defensive back is reacting to the receiver and trying to just stay with him. And that's the time period where the ball's got to start to show up before the defensive back gets comfortable again and can find the ball. Guys, I want to get to our interview here. Patriots lose to the Rams 24-3. We're going to be joined here by Jake Ellenbogen, who's a Rams expert from Downtown Rams. So let's get to that, the Downtown Rams podcast. All right, everybody, welcome in. It's a dual interview here. Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. And on the Believe in Patriots podcast with Doug Flutie, I want to welcome in now Jake Ellenbogen of the Downtown Rams podcast, talking about the Rams 24-3 win over the Patriots on Thursday night. And, Jake, I want to start with this because I'm not surprised that the Patriots lost. I predicted the Patriots to lose. The way they lost was surprising to me. Did it surprise you how the game played out? You know, I, I did say it would be a possibility of a blowout. Um, that was kind of a line along the lines of what I was talking about. If Cam Newton threw a pick six, um, which, of course, you know, was kind of a crazy play, you know, where they're trying to, you know, leak out um, Damian Harris out of the backfield. I liked the play call. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, Aaron Donald knew the rules and he was able to hold him, you know, still in the tackle box. So, you know, he holds Damian Harris from leaking out. It forces a bad throw by Cam Newton because they were, you know, completely off. Um, you know, they, they were on the same page. And so for that reason, you know, it was really easy for somebody like Kevin Young or Kenny Young to to run downhill and, you know, all the momentum he had to just pick that pass off and take it to the house. So I think you start off with that. Um, you look at the fact, you know, this defense with Brandon Staley has just absolutely changed their approach. They are dominating against the run. We already knew what they were as a secondary, but, you know, to lose your starting linebacker in, uh, well, actually both of them before the season, they lost Trayvon Howard, and then they lose uh, Micah Kaiser repeatedly this year. It seems like he's been hurt. Um, so they had a backup in there who started eight games last year that they really like in Troy Reader. I thought he had a nice game, but this was really a huge game for Kenny Young. You had guys, uh, you know, like Morgan Fox contributing. So I think, you know, just the contributing factor of it all is that really they've been able to, you know, be able to, to sit down Aaron Donald and give him a breather. And there's not a huge drop off. You know, you see Morgan Fox getting sacks. You see 
Sebastian Joseph Day. So this defense suffocated the Patriots last night, and the offense had a really great game plan. And, you know, we've been saying for a while, you know, Akers is bound to break out, and this was his rookie breakout game. I mean, you talk about having the most yards for a rookie running back against Bill Belichick in his history. On top of that, it's the most yards for a Rams rookie running back since Jerome Bettis, who we mentioned on the show, <laughs> funny enough. And, uh, you know, it's just it's an incredible performance out of Cam Akers. It's the best rookie performance this year, arguably. So um, just a phenomenal uh, approach for the Rams. I thought they just came out and, you know, really dictated the game. They had a great game plan. And that's why I felt like, you know, this could happen. That was not my prediction. I had 24 to 16, but I said it. they definitely could blow them out. And I wouldn't be shocked if they did. And that's kind of what happened. You know, we think, or at least I think of a Sean McVay offense, cute, artsy, fast, speed predicated, um, going to play a lot of three, four wide receivers spread. That wasn't the case yesterday. The broadcast made a lot of note of them playing two tight ends, line up, power running game. Was that something you think that was just this game specific? Or is that who the Rams are? And we haven't been paying attention enough here 3,000 miles away. Well, you know, it, it's kind of a mixture of everything. You know, you saw a lot of 11 personnel. Obviously, that's been a staple of Sean McVay's offense going back to 2017 when you had three wide receivers, whether it be, uh, well, obviously the two guys were Cooper Cup and Woods, but it was a, you know, combination of whether it was Sammy Watkins in 2017 or Brandon Cooks who they go out and get in 2018. But, you know, in the Super Bowl, and I said this, um, you know, losing somebody like Cooper Cup, uh, you know, going into the playoffs was huge for the Rams. I think it didn't allow them to do what they wanted to do. So they had to actually run those three receivers and they didn't really, you know, they, they had to use guys like uh, Tyler Higby in, in those in that place because, you know, they had um, you know, obviously Brandon Cooks and they had uh, Josh Reynolds, who kind of took over as Cooper Cup in that role. Um, obviously, definitely a drop off. So. This year, a little bit interesting. You know, they've kind of gone towards the 12 personnel. Um, over, you know, last year they, they started kind of toying with it, but this year it's really allowed guys like Gerald Everett and Tyler Higby uh, to emerge in that role. Um, Tyler Higby, I feel like, has really been battling injury all season long, so you have to keep that in mind. But, you know, Gerald Everett, at the end of the day, I just think is a really good football player that's continued to improve, and I think he's thriving. I know he only had nine, uh, you know, yards on one catch, but what he did as a blocker in this game. And like you said, you know, they really just decided to kind of throw the house at the Patriots and not go crazy with their 11 personnel. They went to 12 personnel for the majority of the game, but they haven't done anything like this all year. So I'm not going to say that just because, you know, people that are on the East coast, um, myself included, you know, haven't seen every Rams game doesn't mean that, you know, they are out of their minds for being shocked at seeing a lot of 12 personnel. That was really game plan oriented and i mean we haven't seen a rams running back come anywhere near 29 carries in a game this year so this was a true game plan changing of the guard type of style of attack by sean mcbay on bill belichick and i'm sure you know he had a lot of the super bowl thing you know plugging in his head you know coming in this game so i wasn't shocked at all that they went that route um but I just have to say, you know, shout out to everyone that was blocking. I mean, this is why Sean McVay goes out and gets guys like a Robert Woods and a Cooper Cup. These guys are just, you know, ballers. You know, they do everything. But if you can't block as a receiver, you're not going to be in Sean McVay's offense. At least you're not going to see the field. So seeing those guys, seeing the tight ends and the offensive line without Andrew Whitworth. And I said this, the narrative, um, you know, in the, the Arizona game is I, I forget who said it. 
Um, and I respect the guy as a, an announcer, but he, he came out and flat out said, this offense has not looked the same since Andrew Whitworth left. I just disagree with that to me. You know, you have Joseph Nopum in there at left tackle, and I thought he had a, a stellar night. He looks better than any of the nights because he was not only great in pass pro, but the thing that he's been struggling with, with you know, in run blocking, uh, him and David Edwards cleaned house on the left side. So, you know, it really allowed Akers to really go off for 171 yards, 194 yards total offense from scrimmage. So you have to feel good if you're a Rams fan. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, no, I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if they go this route. They changed their uh, identity in 2018 when they got C.J. Anderson. Todd Gurley was going through injury. So I would not be surprised that they go to this. I mean, this is the thing that really seemed to work for them. I think some of the things that were big takeaways in this game was how fourth down was handled um, on both sides. Uh, Rams were really, really aggressive on fourth down. They forced the big, you know, offsides penalty on fourth and one down there at the goal line, which allowed them to eventually score another touchdown to put the game away. There was a moment in the game, about seven minutes left in the first half. Rams were up 17, nothing. Pats had the ball fourth and goal and, uh, or maybe it's fourth and two or fourth and goal, whatever, but Cam gets stopped on that kind of option play. I said at the time, I thought the Patriots should have taken the points. And the people who were against me were saying, hey, they don't get to the red zone very often. They got to score touchdowns. And my reason was if they make the field goal, they get down 17-3. If they can stop the Rams before the half, maybe they can pick up another score before the half and then get the ball first coming out in the second half. And all of a sudden now you've got a 17-17 game, 17-13 game. It's something that's close. Were you surprised that the Pats went for it in that situation? Well, you know, I said it coming into the game, you know, desperate teams like a six and six Patriots team. One, I'll say that I think Bill Belichick is is out coached, um, you know, over overachieved in this team. I don't think he has a lot going for him. I mean, it's a talented roster, but like you, you mentioned on our show, I've said this Patriots team had a lot of opt outs. They've had, you know, the crazy year where their their you know, quarterback got covid. Uh, it's a brand new quarterback who runs a completely different type of offense than, you know, the one before with Tom Brady. So I think he's done an incredible job. And I think, unfortunately, he kind of fell victim to the fact this is a six and 16 that, you know, even if they went out, they're not going to make the playoffs guaranteed. They need help. So I think they, you know, they kind of looked at that and they saw, well, we don't really want to go for it here. The game flow doesn't really dictate it well. And to be honest on the road, you take the points, but, I actually liked the play call, to be honest with you, um, or at least the decision, not really the play call, but the decision. I did like the decision to be aggressive. Um, you know, look, I just think when it comes down to it, desperate teams can be dangerous. And, you know, the Patriots were over aggressive at times. I get that. But I don't I don't have any issue with either decision. If you feel they should take the points, I don't think you're wrong in that regard because they would have had more points than they came out with with three. Um, but if you told them, you know, yes, it was the right decision to go for it on fourth down all those times. Um, I don't think that's a bad decision either. I think, you know, you have to trust in your quarterback and Cam Newton, who has done it repeatedly in the red zone, um, you know, as a runner. Uh, you have to trust in, in Damian Harris, who has really emerged as, you know, kind of the star, in my opinion, of that offense. And, you know, I, I think they should have used more of their, you know, big receiver in Nikhil Harry. I mean, they have so much invested in him. I would have not minded throwing an end zone fade to him or give him an opportunity to win one-on-one -on -one, uh, with his size. But, you know, I, I don't have any issue with them going for it. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, and I've seen Bill Belichick make that as much as I've seen him miss it. So, you know, a 50-50 percentage on fourth down is, is not a bad percentage to have. We'll say that. I'll get you out of here on this quick. I thought before the season, I thought the Rams were the team that was 
I don't know if overhyped is the right word, but it was the one team that I thought wasn't going to be very good in that division. I thought Seattle was good. I thought San Francisco was going to be good. And they're still good, if not decimated for injuries. And I thought Arizona would be pretty good. I thought the Rams, kind of by process of elimination, were going to be a last-place team, even though I thought they'd be a good last-place team. Um, Are you surprised that the Rams are as good as they are? Not at all. Um, You know, I think when you look at it, you know, in 2017, Sean McVay comes in, had a pretty good roster. I mean, I think that's one thing that has to be said is, you know, Jeff Fisher kind of had the world fall on top of him in the 4-12 and season in uh, 2016. I think part of it was hard knocks. I, I don't think people put enough stock into that. I don't think they, they were ready for that, um, especially with a rookie quarterback. Um, you know, Case Keenum threw away a, a few of those games, and, you know, that defense was solid. But Sean McVay inherited a lot of that. And, um, you know, that's something that's never talked about. And that was a solid football team with better coaching. That would have been at least eight and eight. Um, so, you know, I wasn't surprised to see him. I mean, he was my handpicked guy from the start. So I wasn't surprised to see him go off in 2017 fall early in the playoffs because he does tend to get in his head. Um, 2018 losing the Super Bowl. I wasn't surprised with that at all because I do think they were the best team that year, but I think they lost Cooper Cup. And Sean McVay kind of went away from, and he said it after the game, he went away from what got them there. Um, 2019, I wasn't entirely surprised, except I was surprised they didn't make the playoffs. I thought they would have at least made the playoffs. But this team, throughout Sean McVay's uh, career with the Rams, they have had good rosters. Um, Sean, you know, Les Snead does a phenomenal job of, of grabbing value guys. And so, you know, for that reason, coming into 2020, there are a lot of people that were really upset the Rams didn't go offensive line. Look, they lost Roger Saffold last year. And so I do think it took them a lot of time to get accustomed to what they have. Uh, but look at the last four games, um, Brady, last year. The Rams actually started to really turn the corner, and it was too little too late, but they, you know, the offense started to come together. The offensive line had continuity. So I came into this year thinking they have continuity on the offensive line. Um, I came into this year thinking they drafted. I think it's the best draft the Rams have had in my lifetime, to be honest with you. So you go out and get Cam Akers, which he showed you last night. Van Jefferson, who's just kind of a wait and see here. I think he's going to be huge next year. Um, you know, Terrell Burgess, who did get hurt, but I didn't even like the pick of Jordan Fuller at the time. And Jordan Fuller might be the best pick of all of them because he was a sixth rounder and they gra- they grabbed a starter in him, somebody that had two interceptions against Tom Brady in the Bucks game. So they really drafted well. They signed players well, you know, to go out and they traded for Jalen Ramsey. Um, I, I was not surprised at all. I think, you know, the idea that Sean McVay got figured out, I think he combated uh, with going out and getting a Brandon Staley. And, and Brandon Staley, I've heard, you know, he is the defensive McVay. It's more than that. Because, Brady, when you look at what stopped the Rams in the end of 2018 was Bill Belichick's game plan. But that game plan stemmed earlier in the year when they went to Chicago and they got stifled in a way they never have with Sean McVay. Vic Fangio is one of the best defensive minds ever, and he created a blueprint to stop the Rams, and that's what happened. And so teams started to pattern after that. But one thing, underrated thing to keep in mind, Sean McVay didn't you know, he wasn't cocky about it. He wasn't like, I'll overcome this. When Wade Phillips' contract expired, he went out and got Brandon Staley. And Brandon Staley is a disciple of Vic Fangio. So this offense had all year 
in the offseason to game plan against that scheme and that Vic Fangio-based scheme. And I think it's done wonders, to be honest with you. And this offense is nowhere near as good as it can be. They still haven't had a great game, in my opinion. And I think it's coming. I think you saw last night, there's avenues they can go to really open up this offense. And, you know, if you're a Rams fan, you have to be excited moving forward. This last night, arguably, in a league that hasn't really had a true Rams of 2018, uh, Chiefs of 2018, um, you know, the 18-1 and one Patriots, this league has a lot of teams that are good, but no team has really set themselves apart. If Jared Goff take care, takes care of the football, this could be the best team in football. I mean, we really don't know. Um, so that's what I'll say with that. Jake Ellenbogen, Downtown Rams podcast. You guys can check him out. Give us the Twitter handle, Jake. Yeah, so you can uh, find me at DTSN. And, uh, hey, Brady, I really appreciate you uh, bringing me on, man. I love talking ball, and, you know, it goes back to – you know, years ago when you came into my journalism class and we talked football. <laughs> well, I wish I had been better that day. So we've both grown since then. So Jake, man, I appreciate it. Congrats on your win. I appreciate it. You take care, my man. All right. We want to thank Jake for coming on with us. Not happy with what he had to say about the Rams 24 to three win and not happy the Patriots lost. And uh, we're back here with Doug Flutie, Aaron Wells, our producer. Uh, I want to wrap up the podcast on, on two quick things here. Um, Aaron, give me the notable sounder. It might be big, it might not be, but it caught our attention. One big note from the game. Doug, I want to talk to you about Nikhil Harry. He had a touchdown last week against the Chargers. He had three catches, 50 yards this week. Two nice ones. He had the, the fade route on the left sideline, and then he had a, a, a ball across the middle where he high-pointed it, and I think yes. it was on third down, and it was a big play. Um, look, there are late bloomers all the time in sports. Harry was a first-round pick. We expected a lot from him right away. Do you remember playing with anybody who it took a while for them to get really good? Who's my guy? Who's Eric my Moulds. guy? I always talk about Eric Molds and, and what he did for me in my career and was so dominant. Before I got to Buffalo, he was a bust. Mm-hmm. Two, he had already played, I think, two seasons and had minimal catches, and they, they were considering him a bust at that point. So sometimes it just takes a little while for that light bulb to come on. Sometimes more than the physical part is the mental part of the game that takes a while for a guy, a young guy to get into the routine and the grind of an NFL season, what it takes to prepare and be ready to play. I'm not saying that's the case with Harry. I don't know him. I don't know his, his work ethic. Um, he shows flashes. The ball he caught on the fade route went up high. I thought it was a great high point of the ball and just feeling it. And that's the stuff that I talk about. You know, you, Camp's got guys one-on-one, put it up. You've got to trust your receiver to make a play because the defensive back's back is turned. And guys like this, your receivers are athletic. You've got to trust sometimes. And he tends to not pull the trigger on those kind of balls. The ball that he caught, you were saying on the, the conversion, you got hit over the middle and going up high to get it. That shows guts. That shows toughness. So the elements are there, and uh, you know maybe part of it is he needs a, a quarterback that's you know giving him an opportunity. And I you know I hate saying stuff like that because then now I'm pointing the finger at Cam, uh, yeah. be, you know. But they're not throwing the ball a lot, so he's got limited opportunities right now as well. Doug Aaron wants to know. He chimes in with a question. He says Harry's a young guy. He's a physical player. Maybe isn't a great route runner just yet. So how do you get a guy who's a young player to become a better route runner? What are you looking for on a guy on a route? Route running is, um, 
it's hard work. It's, it's doing things uh, during the off season. Um, when it's timing routes, it's being exact with your footwork, exact with the depth, slants, outs, uh, hitches, um, maybe even comebacks. Um, but the, the key to all that, and big guys struggle with this sometimes. So a lot of the big guys they call long striders, they're good vertically. They're good at maybe a little stutter and go or mm-hmm. deep post or deep crosser where they can just flat out run and then use their body and go up and get it. The little guys are always considered route runners because they're quicker out of the break, in and out of the break. They create a little bit of separation a lot easier. It's tougher for a big guy on a generic route to create that separation. So what they focus on, what they have to focus on is keeping the hips low out of the break, like coming down and keeping your shoulders out over your, your knees, out over the balls of your feet and that forward lean, even though you're breaking down and come out of the break without wasted steps. And, and the, the body lean is all important to show that defensive back that you're still going vertical. You're not standing up straight to, to plant and come out of a break and give it away. So it, and a lot of it becomes body type that, that just is, it's easier for a little guy to get in and out of breaks, but for big guys, they really have to work at technique. Do you, how do you, I don't talk to a young receiver that you're trying to bring along there. I mean, are you, are you holding the guy's hand and babying him through things? Or it's like, Hey buddy, this is the NFL. I don't have time to coach you. You better get better and get better quick. That is grabbing a receiver after practice every day and running these two, three routes with him 10 times each uh, that he doesn't run well, that, that he needs to improve. He say he needs to improve on a comeback, Uh, run that darn route. And it's run it 10 times after practice and get the confidence. Part of it is as a quarterback, reading his body language coming out of a break, and knowing when to pull the trigger so you can anticipate and put it out there so that when he comes out of the break, the ball's showing up because that's when the separation happens. If you're waiting for him to, to show, now the DB has time to close and maybe make a play on the ball. So a lot of it is confidence in reading his body language and pulling the trigger and for him to know the ball's going to be there out of the break. And you know what? If I run this route the way we've talked about for the last three weeks after practice, the ball's going to show up. It's going to be there. And it because I remember now I talk about Eric Molds. Eric and I spent a lot of time during the offseason. We were playing a lot of basketball together too, but we would run routes every day. And I could throw those timing routes to him. I could throw those with my eyes closed. It, it felt like I could. You know, it was it was right. And, and Andre Reed, the Andre Reed was so great at those kind of routes. That that was his wheelhouse. Andre, you know, I, they would run press coverage and we'd run a nine yard stop route. And and Andre really didn't have a great speed when I was with him. It was at the end of his career. Yeah. But he would stop on a dime, and I knew where he was going to be, and I pulled the trigger and anticipated it. And it didn't matter how the, – the ball got there before the DB could get his head around because I knew where he was going to be, and he could put the brakes on in a heartbeat and turn and catch it. It was um, – and that was all my first offseason when I first got to Buffalo that we did all that during the offseason. Wow. All right, I want to end it on this. Um, usually we do this makes me want to drink, and it says the weekend is over. Well, here in our case, the weekend is starting, so uh, this one is going to make me want to drink through the weekend. So 
the thing about this is this. I'll set it up, and this will be the last thing we talk about. It was 17-0 Rams. There were seven minutes left in the second quarter. Patriots had fourth and goal at the two. They ran the option play. I would have taken the points there. And the reason why is because – well, actually, before I go, Doug, what did you think? Did you like the decision to go for it? I knew they were going to – when they ran it on third down, I knew they'd go for it on fourth down. I think they, they, yeah. they made the decision on third down, let's run it twice and we'll, we'll be in the end zone. And like I said with that, my frustration was – that at the line of scrimmage, when you see them load the box up, you've got to get to a pass play and run a guy in the flat and set a pick for somebody or or at least throw a fade. Um, that was my frustration with them. When they ran the option on fourth down, the left tackle and left guard have to seal. There was an inside technique on the tackle and a linebacker over the guard. They motioned it back out and got the other guy out of there. These two players are the ones that are going to stop the play. You're not going to block – the outside guy. So you double team the, the outside edge is rushing. So you double team the down guy and get up to that linebacker and you have to cut the linebacker off. They did not. They didn't get there. So the, the outside defensive end to quarterback, the scraping linebacker that nobody got to was out there for the pitch back and they had absolutely no play. Even though in pre-snap alignment, they had a shot. So I would have taken the <laughs> Sorry, play. I, 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 that's my no, frustration. No, no. When I see that play, that's what I see. Yeah, but see, that's fine because I saw other people say, hey, I like him going for it. I didn't like the play call. I would have just taken the points, and here's why. If they get down 17-3, there's six and a half minutes left. I'm banking on you to stop the Rams one time. Stop the Rams on one possession. Maybe I get the ball back and I can score before the half, or maybe I can kick a field goal or whatever, but I get the ball first to start the second half. And now... If I'm down 17-3, maybe I get a field goal before the half at 17-6, and I got to think I'm going to score a touchdown to start this half, and it's going to be 17-13 like that. They didn't get themselves a chance to do that. They ended up exactly as I thought it would. They don't get the first, they don't get the touchdown. Rams punt. Patriots get the ball. They Mark. kick a field goal to make it 17-3, so they did get the ball back. So it was playing out how I thought it could. I didn't like, I didn't like going for it there. And you text me at that time saying it right away. It wasn't like this is after the fact. You you honestly in the moment really thought. And and I, you know, it's it's a mindset. I agree with you. I it would have been great to get the three points there. There was an opportunity. The game was early and you cut it yeah. to two scores. That's the point. It's still early in the game. You cut it to two scores. I I think the mentality though for Bill is I don't know how often we're gonna how many this is a short game with the way the Patriots play football right now. It's a short game, limited possessions. He had to make the most of each possession. And what you're saying is making the most of that possession was getting three points. Yeah. And, and, and he probably felt he needed seven. I hated, by the way, at the end of the first half, when the Patriots got the ball with 15 seconds left, they threw it to get like eight yards and they ended up at their own 40. <laughs> Why not bring Stidham in to throw the Hail Mary? We saw at the end of the Houston game that Cam can't throw it 60 yards. Bring in Stidham, throw for the Hail Mary. Like, if they were just going to kneel on the ball and give up, kneel on the ball right when they got up. If they threw a pass, tried to get closer. So you showed me you're going for it. If you're going for it, then bring in Stidham, let him throw it as far as he can. I think for the last play of the half, well, they ended up running the ball and gush, gashing it for 30 something yards and get tackled, right? It got exciting there for, for a half a second, yard. though. It was like, eh, could he get? <laughs> but you're right. It's a meaning, meaningless yards. Um, I honestly thought they'd just like throw a wide receiver screen and do the same thing, run run with it down yeah. the field. Um, 
I, I thought the same thing. As soon as they were, they were about the 41, 42. So if you drop back and throw, you got to be able to throw the ball about 65 yards to have a shot at reaching the end zone. And Stidham probably can. I would think he could. And see, this is the problem with the NFL. They, people would look at that as they're benching Cam. They benched Cam. And, yeah. it, and then it becomes a talk radio thing, a podcast thing, and everybody's talking about stuff. So you don't do it. You hand the ball off. You get to the half. You go to the heck with that. It's, if, if the best situation for this particular play is to put in your number three quarterback because he can throw the ball 80 yards, you do yeah. it. You know, you, yeah. or maybe your tight end. Maybe your tight end <laughs> has the strongest arm on the team. And Gronk goes back and throws the thing 85 <laughs> yards from your own 20, you know, whatever it might be. Um, so I, in Canada, they did that kind of stuff because there, was no, there wasn't as much money involved. There wasn't as much pressure. If somebody wasn't playing well, maybe they had a running quarterback that went in for a series and the other guy. And, and it wasn't a big deal when you made switches like that. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Patriots lose 24-3. to They are going to play the Dolphins next week. They're not eliminated from the playoffs. We'll be back next week to look into that one and get you ready for it as the Pats look to get back to 500. So I am Brady Farkas. You can follow me on Twitter at WDEV Radio Brady. Aaron Wells is our producer. Thank you to him as always. And Doug Flutie is our quarterback. Yes, Doug, before we leave. One more. So now it becomes – Let's have a competition on our team and see who can throw the ball the farthest. And you line the guys. It might be an offensive lineman that you have a Hail Mary quarterback. I can need, throw the ball 75 yards. I need the uh, like the old John Elway vortex because I got small hands. I can't even palm a basketball. So I need a smaller football. And then I'll get in on the competition. Hey, all you got to do is put on the glass cutter gloves. You can grip anything. Trust me. I'm going to get you doing it one day. There we go. Doug Flutie at Doug Flutie, Twitter and Instagram. So uh, we will see you guys again next week. Until then, go Pats. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.